Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. We know that people over 50 have been dropping out of the workforce, or at least the workforce as the government defines it. Unpaid caring and volunteering doesn't get counted. But why have these people stopped working? Is it a positive choice or has it been forced on them by poor health or something else? Scott Korf of Public First has researched this issue and can shed some light on the disappearing over 50s. Welcome to The Bunker, Scott. Hello. When you're young, you often feel like you'll be able to work forever. And as you get older, as uh, I'm finding, you start to understand why people retire early. But how much is poor health driving this great retirement, as it's been called? Well, this is the, one of the biggest puzzles in, in the UK labour market at the moment. We know a lot of people seem to have dropped out of the workforce since the pandemic. And when we home in specifically on, on the over 50s or, or, or those age 50, 64 specifically, uh, about 300,000 more of them left the labour market uh, since 2019. So it's a, it's a big number of people that have dropped out. And there's a lot of mixed messaging around what's driving this. There's quite a lot of narrative around poor health being the driver. So that, that could be long COVID. It could be um, other, other sort of health-related issues, particularly with the, the NHS not performing as well as it should be doing at the moment. Um, but then there's also data pointing towards retirement being the story. And we've done a lot of analysis on this in recent months. And I think the, the short answer is, 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 a, is a complicated picture. And there's a, lot, there's a lot going on within the labour market at the moment. When we focus on those specifically that left work during the pandemic, it does seem that this is relatively more of a retirement story than an ill, Ill health story. So for those in the late 50s, early 60s, retirement was given as the reason for dropping out of the labour market more so than ill health. Where health does seem to be more of a story is it in those that were out of work before the pandemic. So people that were sick that we might have expected to have returned to work haven't done so. And that might be a reflection of the fact that the health service isn't delivering. So people seem to be being sicker for longer. And people that we might have expected to have made a recovery and return to work haven't done so. So We've got some people retiring, and then we've got also got some people sick and not, not able to return to work. So it's, it's, it's really a mixed picture. Do you think the pandemic changed things in another way? Did it give people a glimpse of how life could be different if you live in a nice house, in a pleasant area, and you've paid off your mortgage? I mean, there's a bloke in his 50s, very fit and active, he goes running every Tuesday, who lives opposite me, who's paid off his mortgage, and he's just got tired of working, so he thought he'd stop. Is that happening more than it used to? There's definitely something that's come out of the focus groups and the survey work that we've done. So it does, it does seem that amongst those that retired, wealth was a key enabler and driver of this. And we know that during the pandemic, there was a big acceleration in, in house price growth. Uh, a, lot, a lot of people saw their property values go up. And because a lot of us were stuck at home for so many months, um, we accumulated more savings than we would have done done anyway. The pandemic was an opportunity for a lot of people to reflect on on how they spend their lives. Perhaps people people started to reflect they they were spending too much time at work and they'd like to spend more time more, more time at home with family. 
And certainly one thing that came out of our analysis on this was it does seem that this this house price effect is bigger in the UK than other markets. So 18% of people uh, over 50 said that they thought they were better off as a result of the pandemic uh, in the UK. That compared to just 8% in the US and 4% in Germany. So Brits tended to feel think that the pandemic was better for their wealth, more so than other countries. We also saw that Brits seem to have a more negative view of work um, than those in the US and Germany. So people may, may already have quite negative perceptions of work and that, that sort of pandemic wealth boost was enough to sort of tip them over the edge and decide to pack it all in. So what we found was um, only 58% of workers over the age of 50 in the UK like their jobs, whereas in the UK, in the USA, that rises to 74%. And in Germany, it rises to 73%. And we asked over 50s in these different countries, what words do they think best describe work? And in, in the UK, it was quite, quite a sort of negative series of words. So you know, it's necessary, it's stressful, it's tiring, it's boring. Whereas in the US, people were more likely to see my work's rewarding, challenging and fulfilling. So maybe there's something there about you know, people People had quite a big, bit, of a bit of a down on their jobs to begin with. And the pandemic really sort of tipped them over the edge. That's a bit worrying, isn't it, for the government, which, of course, is just trying to relaunch with a new entrepreneurial vibe for Great Britain and, you know, everybody everybody getting back to work. So it sounds as though that might be quite hard if that is our attitude towards work. Some people in this age group have elderly parents who need help too, don't they? Could that be playing a part? It certainly seems to be part of the story for women. And when we segment the data as, as sex, and this, I don't think this is, this is particularly surprising, is we do see this there is this cohort of women that have dropped out of the labour market because they're looking after family. What's quite difficult to untangle from the, the official statistics is what exactly does looking after family mean there? I mean, particularly in this age group, that could be looking after children. Um, it could be looking after older relatives. It could be looking after one's, uh, one's spouse or partner that's become ill, Ill or disabled. It could be a combination of those things. But, but certainly this is something that, that's keeping women in particular out of the labour market. Anecdotally, you also hear that some over 50s feel that they can't get jobs that they want, which is surprising perhaps, and even in a tight labour market, they feel there's always somebody younger and cheaper. Have you seen any evidence of that? And there's certainly a lot of anecdotal evidence about ageism in the labour market, and it might not be so pervasive that it's keeping a lot of over 50s out of their jobs. Let's remember, unemployment is relatively lower in this age group. Unemployment is lower across the UK as a whole. So it does seem to be quite perhaps sort of sector specific, perhaps. And the other point here is what's keeping over 50s out of the labour market will vary a lot depending on the industries and occupations in which they were working in before they dropped out of the labour market. So I think certainly where, where perhaps there are real issues are people that were working in, say, high street retail and they, 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 they lost their job. Um, and they, they're going to find it hard because that high street retail is in decline. There aren't the same number of jobs that there used to be. And therefore, the, 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 the challenge for people in those kind of sectors is how do, they, how do they retrain and pivot towards work elsewhere in the economy? And at present, the UK's, UK's adult education and adult reskilling offer is, isn't really up to scratch for those over 50s workers that need to change career path and not just people in industries are in decline we know we know from the data that we have there's a lot of people working you know the were working in the, in the construction sector for example that just can't work there anymore because they've become injured or they're no, no longer able to do that physically demanding work that they were doing so how do we help those individuals retrain 
And how do we overcome some of the stigma perhaps there is around people that uh, want to switch, make that sort of late, late life career change? Is it a bit unfair that some over 50s can choose not to work because of their housing wealth, because they haven't got the levels of student debt that younger people have and the low outgoings? It's not a matter of fault, obviously. It's in some ways, financially, these people have been a luckier generation. But does it risk creating a resentment there among younger people, do you think? I think there's a real challenge here. And I think particularly for those wealthier over 50s that have decided to retire and they are not placing an, an extra burden on the, on, the, on the state in terms of a higher benefits bill. They're just using their wealth to, to live, live the kind of life that they want, which involves working less than they used to. I think it's very hard to sort of say that you should require these people to return to work. Perhaps it's easier when 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 you look at those where where, where there is an imposition on the state in terms of higher benefit spending, uh, and you could say, well, there should be more more measures in place to reduce the the burden on the state there. But this is really the government's challenge. There's no sort of easy way of compelling people that don't want to work and aren't sort of using the benefit system to go back to work. We know from the the, the official data that. The overwhelming majority of these people that dropped out of the labour market don't want to return to work. 71% of those in their early 50s don't want to return to work. That rises to 82% of those in their late 50s and 87% of those in their early 60s. Um, so what does the government do here and what, what levers can it pull? In my view, it's quite limited. Well, one of the levers that reportedly they were thinking about pulling was the idea of tax breaks for over 50s which leaked from somewhere a few weeks ago and I it seems unlikely to happen but was greeted with absolute dismay would be an understatement from people under 50 who understandably felt that there was no reason why well-off over 50s shouldn't pay their taxes but are there more sensible ideas floating around that the government might want to do to get these people back? One of the perhaps more sensible ways that you, you could go about this is is trying to make work more suitable for this age group. So we know from the survey work we've been doing and the focus groups we've been doing, there is perhaps more openness to returning to work if it is on a more flexible basis, if people are able to work remotely or at least on a hybrid basis and able to to work around some of their other, other commitments. So we, we talked about people with family care needs, whether that's older relatives or children. So can, can they work hours that allow them to, to meet those family needs? So I think it's perhaps giving, giving employees and prospective employees more, more rights there and more, more ability to work, work flexibly and, uh, and work for longer as a result. Increasingly trying to make this as less of a binary thing between you're working or you're retired. And you know, there's there's various sort of bits in between where you can be gradually winding down your work, perhaps working increasingly flexibly. That's where I would focus it rather than rather than this this take tax breaks idea, which I think a a won't shift the dial significantly. B would be quite contentious, um, um, as you know, sort of a lot of younger people opposed to it. And C, I think you have there's some challenges there on how do you avoid people gaming the system to get the tax break. Let's talk about the age that we formally retire, or the the state pension age, which is obviously very different when you can claim a pension from the state. Now, that has risen quite fast. When I joined the workforce, it was, I think it was still 60 for women, but it was 65 for men. Now it's 
67 for Generation X, and reportedly in the budget, Jeremy Hunt is thinking of raising that to 68. This is something that's caused a great deal of unhappiness in France, where we've seen big demos. Have we reached the limit of how long people are willing and able to work, at least in Europe? And why don't we talk more in Britain about this? Because it seems to be thrust on us without much public debate. That could change going forward. And one of the sort of the key the key differences between past rises in state pension age and what, what, what might be happening in the future is what we're seeing in the latest life expectancy data. I think it's a bit easier to sell the state pension age going up when we're all we're all living longer. Certainly people have been talking about the hundred year life becoming a, a norm rather than an exception. But really the, the latest life expectancy data coming out of the UK is really quite worrying. We're seeing at best, life expectancy plateauing, and for quite quite a number of groups, life expectancy falling back a bit. So, how do we how do we sell a higher state pension age when people people seem to be dying earlier than a couple of years ago? I think that's where it becomes much more contentious an issue, and where we could sort of start to see some some of the unrest around right, raising the state pension age that we've seen in other countries. How is Britain different from other European countries? You've done some work on this, haven't you? It's really interesting when you look at this this phenomenon of the great retirement. So the, this idea that during the pandemic, an abnormal number of um, older people left the, left the labour force. And it is very it is a very different picture in different countries. Um, so certainly when you compare UK with continental Europe, this great retirement trend that you've seen in the UK hasn't been replicated across most of Europe. So generally, in most of continental Europe, um, employment rates for the over 50s have been rising in recent re- in recent years, uh, whereas in the UK they've, they've fallen back. So we do seem to be something of an exception here. We really need to get to the bottom of why the UK is different. And I think it, it does come down to a couple of things. It is partly the fact that wealthier people in the UK seem to have had more of a wealth boost during the pandemic in terms of their, their sort of housing wealth going up and that, that, that sort of perceived wealth boost boost driving retirement also this this point around attitudes to work and lastly this this point around how well functioning our, our health system is so we did some we did ask a, a survey question around how how well people thought the health service was in in, in dealing with any, any conditions they had and people's perceptions of the health service in the uk was markedly worse than germany and um, outside of europe we also surveyed the u.s our health service seems to be performing particularly bad at the moment. And, and that seems to be one of the reasons why people, when they become sick in the UK, aren't returning to work. And it may well be the people who have wealth through property, for example, who are able to effectively buy their way out of the NHS's problems by going private to get an operation they need, for example. Well, I certainly think that's one of the things we're going, we're going to start seeing in, in, in the data is more people looking at private medical insurance, more people paying for their own treatment, just because the waiting lists have become so long on the NHS. And then people, people no longer trust that the NHS will deliver the, the, the health outcomes they need or, or serve them in the event of an emergency. Is inheritance playing a role as well? It's something that's very, very contentious in British society, inheritance, and the idea that we should tax inheritance more is fiercely resisted by a lot of people. But nonetheless, people have been inheriting more, as you say, because house prices have gone up. Could that be playing a role too? I think that's almost almost certainly the case. And it's certainly going to be even more of a feature of the economy over the coming decades. So inheritance have grown both in size and also 
the number of people receiving a sizable inheritance has grown significantly um, due to the spread of property ownership in recent decades. So I think that that's almost certainly the case. It is almost certainly one of one of the drivers of the great retirement. The government has a lot that it needs to do at the moment, all across society, all across different departments. What would you most like to see them do to tackle this issue? Well, I think it, it does come back to this point around making work more flexible, giving people more options in, in terms of returning to work and allowing them to fit that work around, around any sort of family caring responsibilities. Um, I think adult education has to be a, a really important part of the solution here as well. So yeah, as I said, there's there's people that can no longer work in the in, in the industries and occupations that they were working in. Um, you know, people that were working in construction but can no longer do that physically demanding work. People that were working on the high street and uh, and those jobs just aren't there anymore as we're we're buying more online. So we need to get better at, at reskilling people in later life. I think actually part of this might start to change, and and for matters outside of the government's control. So the the cost of living crisis and and the fact that inflation is going to remain very high over the course of 2023 means that um, for some some over 50s that took early retirement and, and starting to see their bank balances dwindle because energy bills have gone up, because food bills have gone up, I suspect we'll see a cohort of those in the over 50s where that is a tipping point and they do decide to return to work um, because of the cost of living crisis. Scott, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Whether you're retired or can only dream about it, we try to make podcasts that talk about the stuff others don't. If you'd like to support us, then just go to Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor, and thanks for listening. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ros Taylor. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis, with additional production from Jack Gerbertson, Katya Tomashevich, and me, Alex Reese. Our marketing manager was Gina Richard. Music by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>